You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, let's open in prayer and we'll get into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, we're so grateful that you love us and you care for us the way that you do. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us, for the price that he paid, his precious shed blood. Thank you, Lord, that you did it all for us, and we're so grateful, and we thank you for it. And Father, I thank you tonight that as we have gathered together around your word, Lord, we release our faith right now to believe you for revelation and insight. We believe for the Spirit of God to open our eyes and bring light and illumination from your word, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, my thoughts will be your thoughts. My words will be your words. And Father, you will speak to us all. Thank you for anointing our ears to hear. And Father, we believe that as we hear the word, faith is going to arise in our hearts and we're, we will be changed. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're continuing. This is week number seven in our series, uh, a faith refresher study. And uh, we are uh, have been looking at a whole lot of different things regarding faith. And so uh, I want to pick up where we left off last week. We were talking last week and when we wrapped up about seven steps to answer prayer, uh, seven steps to prayer that brings results. And uh, so let me, we got through the first three, I believe for sure. So let me give you those again. And and by the way, if you missed it, miss anything that we've or said, or we are going to say, uh, all of my notes are on the website, so you can get it all there. But number one is this, on seven steps to prayer that brings results, number one is decide what you need or want from God, and then go to the Word and find the Scripture that promises you those things. And one thing that's awesome about the Word of God is, I don't know of any need that humanity would face that the Word of God does not address. And so you're going to find something in the Word regarding your situation that you can base your prayer on. So decide what you want or need from God. Get the scriptures that definitely promise you those things. Number two, we said to ask God for the things that you want and believe that you have them. And we base that on uh, Mark 11, verse 24, where Jesus said, "What therefore I say unto you, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So we need to pray. You need to release your faith by asking, opening your mouth and saying something. And then at the moment that you pray, believe that you have the answer. Uh, that is the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith does not say, if it is your will, or I'll have it someday. Uh, the prayer of faith says, when I pray, at the moment that I pray, I believe that I have and receive the answer at that moment. So ask God for those things. Release your faith. Number three is never permit a mental picture of failure to enter your thinking. 
Never allow your mind to go to a place regarding that thing that you have prayed for. Never let your mind go to a place where you picture in your mind you not receiving the answer. Uh, let every thought and desire affirm that you have what you ask. And, uh, you know, we've talked about our thoughts. We've talked about how you deal with thoughts. And of course, you and I can control what we think about. We can control the thoughts that uh, take up residency in our minds. And if it's a thought that is contrary to what you have prayed and believed God for, then you can address that thought uh, with the word of God, pull that thought down. The Bible says that we take it captive and uh, remove any power in that thought to be able to get you over into doubt and unbelief. Number four is related to it, and it says this, guard against every evil thought that comes into the mind. So you're going to have to take up a guard against every evil thought that comes into the mind. You know, the thing that comes into my picture or, or comes into my mind, rather, when I think about that is the guards at the tomb of the unknown soldier uh, I have never seen them in person. I've seen tons of pictures and video and things like that. But, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is a guard that is placed over that tomb for largely symbolic reasons, but it is a duty that those soldiers take very seriously. And so when you are, are thinking about your mind and your thoughts and those types of things, think about that guard and place that guard uh, uh, over or in a, a over your mind to protect against every evil thought. And we talk about evil thoughts in this context. We're talking about thoughts that would come into your thinking about that prayer that you're not going to get the answer this time, or God's not going to come through, or something along that line. And you're going to have to be very vigilant in watching over your mind to protect it from those thoughts. Go over with me to Philippians chapter 4, please. Philippians chapter 4, and let's look at verses 6 through 8. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, very familiar portion of Scripture. And Paul writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, and, and you know, I, I uh, use the phrase uh, mic drop moment, but verse 6 is really a mic drop moment. In other words, we could read verse six, and if we could all learn, myself included, all learn to do verse six, man, we will have accomplished a lot. Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So first thing right out of the gate, Paul tells us not to worry or be anxious about anything. But then he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication. Now notice what it, prayer is coupled with, and that is with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he tells you how, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, 
whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Mm -hmm. So he starts out by saying, don't have any anxiety or care, much like what Jesus told us over in Matthew chapter six. And then he said, let the peace of God, peace of God rather, guard your heart and mind. But notice the one that's going to determine the thoughts is us. And he gives us the measurement of what our thoughts need to measure against when we're standing in faith in verse eight. So all of those things. So you know, when thoughts start coming in your mind, which they do all the time, there's no such thing as an idle mind. But when those thoughts start coming into your mind, you're going to have to measure them against these standards. And if they don't meet these standards, and particularly uh, the last couple where it says, wherefore, uh, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's any praiseworthy, if they don't meet that, then you're going to have to address them and pull them down. You cannot afford to let thoughts that are contrary to the word of God not be addressed and just be able to have free reign in your mind. You're going to have to deal with them. And as we've talked about before, the way that you deal with them is you put the word in your mouth, you speak the word of God and pull those thoughts down and take them captive. Okay. So Guard your, guard your mind against every thought and uh, protect it. Ver number five is this. Meditate constantly on the promises upon which you have based the answer to your prayer. Now, one thing I like to do if I am praying about a particular situation is, uh, of course, back in the day, you know, I used to write a lot of scriptures out, but now we can type them up on the computer and print them. But I encourage you, the scriptures that you are basing the prayer on, type them out, write them out so that you can have them in one concise place and you can refer to them whenever you need to. So, and, and then spend time meditating on those promises. Now, again, the word meditate in the Bible means to mutter, to speak to yourself. Uh, it means to think about, to ponder, to go over in your mind. And so one of the best ways that I know to do that is to uh, put the scriptures in a form where you can read them out and say them out loud. Uh, you know, if you want to, encourage, I encourage you to commit them to memory. Take some time and memorize those scriptures. Spend time with them. And then meditation really means to imagine, to see yourself experiencing whatever those scriptures promise to you. So if it's peace, if it's healing, if it's God's provision, whatever it might be, spend time imagining those things coming to pass in your life. Well, I heard one minister say it this way, uh, imagine your life being lived out in line with God's word. So if God's word says that by his stripes, you are healed, then imagine, spend time imagining your life healed or your body healed and whole. And if you're experiencing sickness or some type of condition, imagine what your life would look like without that condition. If you're believing God to get out of debt, spend time meditating on those scriptures and seeing what your life would look like without debt. 
with, with you being able to do with your finances, your resources, as God commands you instead of the credit card companies or the bank or whoever it might be, but spend time thinking about those things. Now, go back with me. Again, these aren't new scriptures, but let's look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and let's look at what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4. This is some of my favorite scriptures. In the fourth chapter of Proverbs, we're going to look at verses 20 through 27. Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. And the scripture says this, my son or my daughter, give attention to my words. Now, I want to say this to all of us, myself included. When, when the scripture says, give your attention to something, it means that literally, give your attention to God's word. Now, that doesn't mean you don't give attention to other things that might need, be needing your attention, but discipline yourself to give attention to the words. And then I like what he says next, incline your ear to my sayings. That word incline means lean in, lean in to hear what God's saying to you. Verse 21, do not let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they, the words of God, are life to those who find them, and health, or the middle reference in my Bible says medicine, that's what it actually means in the Hebrew, the word is medicine to all your flesh, then verse 23, keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence for out of its spring, the issues of life put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established do not turn to the right or the left and remove your foot from evil. Now, when the scripture says things like, let your eyes look straight ahead, don't look to the right or the left, ponder your path before you, don't, don't take any turns. What that means is, and, and what these verses are really telling us is stay focused. Stay focused on what it is you are believing God for what the word of God says concerning that and the fact that you have the answer to your prayer by faith. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. Don't let things distract you and get you off course. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and this might seem like a hard saying, but it's the truth, and that is this. If you don't see yourself with the answer, then the word of God is no longer before your eyes. Mm -hmm. If you don't see yourself with the answer, then you've let the word of God get from in front of your vision. You've allowed something to distract you. So always keep the word in front of you, particularly regarding what you prayed for, and see yourself with the answer. You know, we uh, we talked about this verse last week, but John, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it'll be done for you. And then Joshua 1, 8, 
where he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe, that you may see to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Okay. Now, if you you get distracted and you, you don't stand by the word of God, then what you do is you limit God's ability to be able to stand with you. So mm -hmm. it's important that we keep the word of God first and foremost, stay focused on the word. All right. Then in verse or, or number six, rather, in your waking moments, think on the greatness of God and his goodness and count your blessings and your faith will increase. Let me say that again. In your waking moments, think on the greatness of God and his goodness and count your blessings and your faith will increase. Now, you know, if there's something that the devil wants to accomplish in your life, it's going to be to get you to forget how big God is, then how good God is, and then mm -hmm. get you to forget he's ever done anything for you in the past. If he's going to uh, be able to attempt to give you, get you, get us off track, it's going to be in those areas where we begin to, or we forget rather, how great our God is. And you know, listen, even in the the in between times when you're not praying about something, when you haven't released your faith about something. Get in the Word and find out what the Bible says about how big God is, how great God is. And then, then get in the Word and find out what does the Bible say about His goodness to us, His goodness to us. I heard somebody say, I believe it was Gloria Copeland, but she defined God's goodness as this way, God is disposed to show favors. That's what the goodness of God is. He is disposed. In other words, it's just part of his nature to pour out his favor and goodness on his people. And so it, yeah. it will do us a world of good to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. You know, I, I, I'm always reminded in the Old Testament at all the times when they uh, would dedicate the temple, or there was something significant going on, the people would begin, the priests would begin to say, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And it never mm -hmm. failed when the people lifted up that as, a, as a, a big portion of their worship and as their praise, that God would show up and manifest his presence to them. If you'll remember, Moses and God had an encounter one day where Moses asked the Lord, he said, Lord, let me, let me see your glory. And one thing I love is that the Lord responded to him and said, he said, okay, I will pass by and show you my goodness. So what that tells me is the glory of God and the goodness of God are deeply connected. Okay. So, and when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the power of God. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but this is where David would write, and he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. 
bless his holy name, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and notice this, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. You know, something that the Lord has been stirring my heart about in my private prayer time is, is just spending time acknowledging the benefits of God, to, to acknowledge his goodness, acknowledge his favor, acknowledge that he's forgiven all of my iniquities, acknowledge that he's healed all of my diseases. You know, if you'll just take the things that David wrote about in these five verses and begin mm -hmm. to acknowledge those and thank God for those, man, I'm telling you, that'll take you a long way in your praise mm -hmm. and your worship. And then in Psalm 34, just make a note of that, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 4, David wrote, and he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul mm -hmm. shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. And then notice what he said in verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Now, if mm -hmm. you think about that, you know, when I, uh, when I hear the word magnify, of course, I think about a magnifying glass and, and you use a magnifying glass to look at things and to make them bigger in your vision. Well, when we magnify the Lord, we're not making him any bigger. He's as big as he's ever going to be. But in our hearts and in our thinking and with our faith, we're placing that magnifying glass on him. And in our thinking, we're making him bigger. And so what we need to do is we need to spend time, like, like David said, and bless the Lord at all times and mm -hmm. magnify the Lord. Make him big in your thinking. And all of this is working towards accompanying your faith, helping bolster your faith, helping your faith be able to stay strong. And so he says, oh, mm -hmm. magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So what we need to do is we need to let every thought, every everything that we're, we're focused on be praiseworthy, glorifying God, magnifying him, and thanking him for the answer. You know, somebody said, well, how do, why do I need to thank God? Because I haven't gotten it yet. No, you have gotten it, and you have it by faith. You have received the answer by faith. And I'm telling you, praising and worshiping God and thanking him for the answer before you get it is the quickest way for the manifestation to show up. Then number seven is after that point, after you know, you've prayed and you've released your faith and you're praising and worshiping God, you're focused on the word of God, then make every prayer relative to what you've asked a statement of faith instead of unbelief. Make every prayer relative that pertains to what you've asked a statement of faith instead of unbelief. Now, what do I mean by that? You don't have to keep asking God for the same thing over and over and over again. 
If you pray the prayer of faith, you ask him one time. That is the prayer of faith. Now, there are other types of prayer where you do uh, ask or commit to the Lord. There's the prayer of consecration that you can pray every day, uh, and you can dedicate and, and commit yourself to the will of God. But when you're praying the prayer of faith, and you're releasing your faith for something that God has provided and promised you in his word, the prayer of faith, you pray one time, and then every prayer after that, you let it be a prayer of thanksgiving and praise. That mm -hmm. is a, a statement of faith. Father, I thank you that you heard my prayer, and, and like I encourage you to do, write the date and time down so you could say, Father, I thank you that you heard my prayer on May the 31st, and in Jesus' name, I praise you that I have the answer. Yeah, and then just keep uh, making those prayers like that, uh, a prayer of, of, of a statement of faith, a prayer of thanksgiving, mm -hmm. instead of asking. Because if you go back and you ask again, you're undoing what you prayed about the first time. All right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I heard Smith Wigglesworth, or not heard, but read Smith Wigglesworth said, if you've prayed seven times for any one thing, you've prayed six times in unbelief. Think about that. If you've prayed seven times about uh, something that you're endeavoring to receive from the Lord, then you've prayed six times in unbelief. You pray one time in faith, and then you thank God for the answer. Andrew Murray uh, another great man of God said, it is not good taste to ask God for the same thing over and over and over again. It's insulting to God. What it does is it implies to him that you don't believe he heard you the first time, nor do you believe that he answered your prayer when you prayed the first time. Andrew Murray also went on to say, if when you do pray again, what you've prayed for, if what you have prayed for hasn't materialized, don't pray for it again in the same way because that would be un unbelief. Remind God what you've already asked for and what his word says and tell him that you are expecting it, you have it, and you thank him for it, okay? That's what the prayer of faith is all about. Now, I want to change gears for just a, a little bit tonight, and I want to talk about corresponding actions. So you go to the word of God, regarding your situation, you find out what the Bible says, you get the promises of God, and you write them down or whatever the case might be, then you pray and you release your faith. And then from that moment forward, you continue to thank God that you have the answer. Father, I thank you that I am healed. Father, I thank you that my needs are met. Father, I thank you that you've heard my prayer and the answer is mine. All right. Now, James chapter two, go over with me to James chapter two, please. The book of James chapter two. And I want to read several verses from James chapter two. Let's start in verse 14 and I'm going to read it from the new King James. And then I'm going to read part of it from the Weymouth's translation. But, but James chapter 2 says this in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, that word works there, we'll see in just a moment, means actions that correspond or work with your faith. 
if verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have, again, those corresponding actions, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. The response would be, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works or by my corresponding actions. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God and you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works or corresponding actions is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? So let me let me read uh, verse 18 out of the Weymouth translation. So also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, has no life in it, so long as it stands alone. Nay, someone will say, you have faith, I have actions. Prove to me your faith apart from your corresponding actions, and I will prove mine to you by my corresponding actions. Verse 21, was it or was it not because of his actions, talking about Abraham, that he was declared to be righteous as the result of his having offered up his son Isaac upon the altar. You notice that his faith was cooperating with his actions and that by his actions, his faith was perfected. What is James telling us? James is saying this to us, that when you have faith and you have faith in the word of God, there is going to be some actions that you and I have to do uh, that corresponds with our faith. So let me say it to you this way. Let's use Abraham as an example, as James did. You know, if you think about Abraham, he believed God and stood in faith and received his son, Isaac, who was born, uh, you know, of course, at a very uh, late age, and it was a miracle. And uh, so here you have this miracle boy, and he grows and becomes a teenager, and all of a sudden, God taps him on the shoulder one day and says, hey, I need you to sacrifice Isaac, your only son, for me. And so Abraham obeyed God without hesitation. We don't have any record where Abraham balked at that at all. Without hesitation, he and Isaac took off. They went to Mount Moriah, and Abraham got so far as to uh, building the altar, putting the wood under the altar, tying Isaac up and laying him down on the altar, had the knife raised in the air, and then an angel spoke to him and stopped him. Now, what was Abraham's faith? Abraham's faith was God's promise to me is that I am the father of, of many nations, that out of my seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So here's what Abraham's faith was. If God has instructed me to sacrifice my son then and burn him uh, completely, then God will do whatever's necessary to raise Isaac up 
from the ashes and I will get my son back. That was Abraham's faith. So what did Abraham's corresponding actions look like? Well, he was able to obey God because he believed the promise of God. And so therefore his actions proved where his faith was. In other words, he followed through with his sacrifice, which by the way, uh, was a covenant thing because what Abraham did in being willing to offer his only son, he committed his covenant partner who was God to have to do the same thing. So there was a reason behind all of that. But what I'm wanting you to see is, is that Abraham's actions worked and cooperated with his faith. It corresponded with his faith. And his actions did not go against what his faith uh, but was believing in the promise of God. In other words, he didn't argue with God. He didn't refuse to obey God. He simply obeyed the Lord and did what God told him to do. So what is my point? It's not enough for us to believe and confess the word of God, there must be some corresponding actions to accompany your faith. So, you know, let me use the example of worry, for instance. You know, the scripture is very clear on worry. Jesus told us not to worry. We read earlier where Paul told us not to worry. So if we're in faith, believing whatever we're worrying about, that the promise is true, then our corresponding action is that we're going to obey what the word says and not allow worry into our lives, not allow anxiety into our lives, that we're going to obey and do what the word says. Now, another aspect of corresponding actions is this. Let's say that you are believing God, that you have released your faith and that you have prayed for a certain uh, situation, something that you may have need of, and some corresponding action might be uh, for you to begin to make plans in your life for that thing to be manifested. Let me give you an example. I know using uh, Sister Gloria Copeland for a long time, she believed God for a, a home, to be able to build a home. And so for years, I'm talking about decades, she spent time in magazines looking at uh, homes and designs and furniture and plans and all of that type of thing. And what was she doing? She was taking uh, her faith and, and putting corresponding actions with her faith and allowing those corresponding actions to build images on the inside of her so she could see what her home looked like. In other words, she didn't sit around and just confess the word. She did some things. She took some steps in order to work with her faith and to help move her forward towards that which we she was believing God for. Now, I want to say this, um, and, and God never condones foolishness, okay? So God never condones foolish acts. And I know there are people, uh, you know, that are, that love God and, you know, claim to be believing for healing and standing in faith. And they do stupid stuff like forbidding medical care for their children because they're 
They've prayed over their children. They're, uh, you know, committed to believing God for healing for their children. And so they deny medical care for their children and call it faith. That is not faith. That is foolishness. Okay. God never told anyone not if necessary and if needed um, to not go to the doctor. God never said that. Matter of fact, uh, if your faith is there, then God will work through medical science in order to provide healing in your body. Let me say this to you. Medicines and medical science, a doctor worth his salt will tell you this. He cannot heal you. The only thing a doctor and medicine can do is to work with what your body is already designed by God to do, and that is to heal itself. So, so going and seeing a doctor is not going against the word of God. If you need to go to a doctor, go to a doctor. But here's the key. Don't put all your faith in that doctor. Put your faith in the word of God and believe God and release your faith and say something like this, Father, I'm going to see this doctor and I believe that you will give him wisdom. I believe that you'll lead and guide and direct him and that uh, you will work, the healing power of God will work in conjunction with medical science to bring healing into my body. Same thing with taking medicine. You know, listen, uh, I, I will never, ever tell somebody that is trusting God for healing in their body not to take medicine. If you need to take medicine, take medicine, but don't put your faith in the medicine. Put your faith in the word of God. I mean, there are things that I take medicine for right now that I'm also standing in faith for in the word of God, but I don't. I don't do foolish things like not take my medicine, and then uh, if my faith is not there for the miraculous to take place. Let me explain to you what I mean. I know of a pastor uh, who dealt with asthma all of his life, and so he got turned on. This was many years ago. Got turned on to the word of faith and decided he was going to believe God for healing in his body, healing for asthma. And so he took all of his asthma medicine and his inhaler and everything and threw it away. And he liked to have died because he'd had an asthma attack and didn't have any of his medicine to, to deal with it. And uh, it liked to kill him. So what happened is as a result of that failure, he, instead of realizing he made a mistake, he threw out the whole concept of healing by faith and now preaches against it. When it wasn't the word's fault that he threw away his medicine, God never told him to throw away his medicine. I guarantee it. So, because if you have faith and you can believe for the miraculous, then you will receive a miracle and the medicine won't be necessary. But if you are, are in the process of receiving healing in your body, then by all means, take your medicine. All right. I want to be very, very clear in all of that. And again, part of the corresponding actions could be that you pray and you say, Lord, I thank you that as I take my medicine, it's working in conjunction with the healing power of God in my body. And so there will come a point as I confess the word and as I believe the word that I'm going to go to my doctor and he's going to tell me, 
Those meds are no longer necessary, that you don't have to take them anymore. All right. But I'm not going to do something foolish by throwing away all my medicine and, and call it faith. That is not faith. That is foolishness. All right. So, so I just wanted to be very, very uh, clear about that. Now, let's uh, let's that's talking about corresponding actions. Let's switch gears again. And I want to just point out some things to you about what kind of faith gets Jesus attention. What kind of faith gets Jesus attention? As I was praying about Bible study tonight, that question kept coming up in my spirit. And so the Lord directed me to the word to look at some things and to uh, make reference to it. So uh, let's go over to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter eight. Because mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about you, but I want my faith to get Jesus' attention. Yes. Amen. Matthew chapter eight and verse 10. Now, Matthew 8 and, and verse 10, this is where uh, a centurion came to Jesus and, and had a sick servant, and he asked Jesus to come or asked Jesus uh, to heal his servant. And Jesus responded and said, I will come and heal him. And Jesus said, wait, it's not necessary for you to come. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And then he talked about how I'm a man under authority. I'm a soldier. I know what authority uh, how authority works. I know how power and words work because of that's how the whole authority structure and military is based on. And so he goes through all of that. And verse 10 says, when Jesus heard it, look at this, he marveled. Now I want, want to point out a couple of things to you. Number one, this man is not a Jew. This man is a Roman. He is a Roman centurion. In other words, he is a Gentile. And yet Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And if you'll underline that word great in your Bible, it's the Greek word megos, which means enormous, enormous faith. See, this man, because of what he recognized, the authority in Jesus and the authority and the power of words spoken, that faith, that, that exhibition of faith got Jesus' attention, and he marveled at it. I looked up the word marvel in the Greek language that's from that verse, and it means this, to wonder, uh, as in like just be awestruck with admiration or astonishment, or even amazed. And, and I love the fact that this man, in releasing his faith, it, Jesus made the comment that he had not found such enormous faith, not even in Israel, all right, among God's people. Now, in another verse, uh, go over with me to Matthew, the 15th chapter. So the first kind of faith or the first faith that got Jesus' attention was when he marveled at the faith of the centurion. So let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 27 and 28. Jesus called the centurion's faith enormous. It was megas. It was enormous. In Matthew 15, verses 27 and 28, this is the, the conversation that Jesus had with the a Canaanite woman, 
who wanted healing for her daughter who was de uh, severely demon-possessed. And again, pay attention to the details. She is a Gentile. She is not a Jew, okay? And it says, and, and uh, Jesus responded to her, and, and uh, he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the, children, the house of Israel. And verse 25, and then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Verse 26, he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said in verse 27, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said in verse 28, he answered and said to her, oh, woman, great, enormous, megas is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, I want to, I'm just uh, stirred in my heart to mention a couple of things here. Notice with the centurion how he displayed his faith. He recognized the authority of Jesus, and he recognized the authority and the power of Jesus' words. Okay? So he recognized that all Jesus had to do was say something, and his servant would be healed. Now, notice what is characteristic about this woman. And, and I, I love this woman. I hope one day to meet her in heaven. But um, Jesus did not say what he said to her in order to insult her. He wasn't trying to belittle her. He wasn't trying to demean her. He was, and, and you'll know this, and you'll find this as characteristic throughout Jesus' ministry. He always did and said things that prompted or stirred people's faith so that they could receive from him. So she comes to him, she's pleading with him, she's worshiping him, trying to get deliverance for her daughter, and Jesus comes back to her and he says, but no, I haven't been sent to you, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and uh, and he said, it's not right to take what belongs to the to, on the master's table and, and feed it to dogs. And notice she did not quit. This is what I want you to see. She did not back down. She did not quit. She didn't, not to use a pun, but tuck her tail and go home. She stayed with her faith until she received from Jesus what she needed to receive. Because notice what her comeback was. Yeah, Lord, that's true. But uh, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And then notice what Jesus said to her, Oh, woman, enormous, huge is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. Now, right off the bat, we see two people that Jesus marveled. He was amazed at. He was astonished by their faith. Now, I want to show you some scriptures where Jesus made note of little faith. Now, we just got through seeing enormous, huge faith. Let's look at what Jesus noted as far as little faith is concerned. Go back to Matthew 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Notice what Jesus says, Okay, and this, this whole portion of the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus is talking to his disciples about worrying about provision for their lives. 
You know, he's, he started out by saying, don't take any thought, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, all of those things, okay? So look at verse 30 and notice what he says. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you, of little faith? Little faith. What that tells me is, is that when we get caught up in worry and we're worried about our everyday needs, that is not big faith. That is little, tiny faith, okay? So we need to uh, be obedient to the Lord and not be anxious or worrisome for those things. Now, go over a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 8, please. Matthew chapter 8. And we see here where Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him in verse 23, and then a great storm arose out on the Sea of Galilee so that the boat was covered with the waves. And then this is where he went to sleep. And they came and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Now, let me say this to you. Notice what Jesus said. Again, pay attention to the details. He just didn't admonish them because of their little faith. He said, why are you fearful? Can I say it to you this way? Why are you full of fear and empty of faith? Okay, what, was the, what, what could they have done? Well, they had the one who had already performed wonderful miracles in their midst, they had him in the boat with them. So why were they afraid? And, you know, I'm not being critical because who's to say, you know, our response might not have been the same thing, but I'm wanting you to see what Jesus said is that when faith is, excuse me, when fear is present, faith is little. So when you tolerate fear in your life, no matter what that fear might be, in this case, it was fear of drowning and dying in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But when you let fear in, faith gets diminished. Great fear, little faith. Great faith, little or no fear. Okay? I want you to see that. Uh, you're there, Matthew. Go to Matthew 14, please. Matthew 14, verse 29. Similar situation. He sent the disciples to cross the sea. He, he comes walking on the water out to them in the nighttime. And Jesus, uh, excuse me, Peter saw him and said in verse 28 and said, Lord, it, it, if it's you, uh, bid me to come. And Jesus told him, come. And when Peter had walked down out of the boat, he walked on the water to, to Jesus. In verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous and he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, again, um, again, looking at the details in this story, okay? So Peter had never walked on water that we know of in his life, all right? That's not a normal thing to do. So this was uh, a definite miracle, but notice what Jesus said. Jesus gave him one word, one word of instruction, 
and that was come to me, okay, come, and in that one word was enough power, the power of God present to enable Peter to walk on the water. So as long as Peter kept his eyes on that word and on the one who gave the word, everything was okay. But notice what happened. It said, and he came down out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. Verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Now, I've got news for you, all right? The wind is not going to ever be so calm that you can walk on water. Think about it. The wind <laughs> has nothing to do with your ability to walk on water or not. It doesn't. But what happened is Peter got his eyes off of the word and the one who gave the word and fear came in and it caused him to begin to sink. Now, I love the goodness of the Lord. I mean, he's just so good. When Peter cried out, Lord, save me, the Bible says that immediately Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. And thank God, when you and I get in situations to where our faith falters, all we have to do is we have to say, Lord, help me. And, and Jesus will be right there to, to help you and to bring you back up into the to, to a place of faith. But you're going to have to stay in faith if you're wanting the results. So if he wanted the results of the one word, the one instruction that Jesus gave him, he had to stay in faith faith. All right. So that was little faith. And then over in the 16th chapter, Matthew 16, verses five through nine. Now, by this time, Jesus has, has multiplied the bread and fishes and fed the multitude. And uh, so they're again in the boat, they're going to, to minister. And it says in verse five of chapter 16, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So they forgot to bring something to eat. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's trying to teach them uh, what the word, and they're focused on food. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five or of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? So I looked up the word little faith in the Greek language, and it means this, incredulous. Now I had to go to the dictionary and find out what incredulous means because I didn't know what incredulous meant. Incredulous means this, unwilling to admit or to accept what is offered as true or to be skeptical. So when you get over in and your faith is little, it means that you're unwilling to admit or accept what is the truth. So let's go back to Peter's situation for a second. The truth is, the fact said, Physically, uh, natural law says you cannot walk on water. But the truth said, come to me. The truth was standing right in front of him. And so what he did is he was unwilling to admit or accept 
what was offered to him as truth. He chose to get his eyes off on natural law. Now, in the disciple situation here, they had forgotten what Jesus, in other words, uh, providing, listen, let, let, me, let me say this. They had watched him turn water into wine. They had watched him multiply loaves and fishes. They had watched him uh, fill their boats till, till they overflowed with fish. In other words, it was not a hard thing for Jesus to provide food for them. That's why he got on them about their little faith. And so they're focused on their stomachs. He's trying to teach them about the leaven and, and the teaching of the, the Pharisees. But what I want you to see is, is that they got their eyes off of the word and his ability to be able to provide for them. And therefore, they were unwilling or or are unwilling to admit or accept that the truth was sitting there with them and he would provide for them. Now, before we get too uh, hard on the disciples, you and I do the same thing. Now, we might not have Jesus sitting in front of us in person, but we have something the Bible says it calls a more sure word of prophecy than if an angel appeared to you and gave you the word of God. You and I have the promise of God, the truth of God written to us. And as long as we will keep our eyes on that word and keep that before us and keep it in our hearts, our faith will remain big. It will remain high and um, we'll be able to receive what we need to receive. Now, um, let me show you one more, and then we'll wrap up for tonight. Luke chapter 8. Go over to Luke's gospel, the 8th chapter. This is the same story that we looked at a little bit ago, but Luke's gospel takes a little bit different take on it. This is when the disciples are crossing the sea, and Jesus is with them, and he went to sleep. And uh, it says in verse 23, but as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they, and they ceased, and there was calm. But he said to them, the, he said to the disciples, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be for even he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. So let me think, let's, let's think this through for a second. We've seen through those two Gentile people, enormous mega faith, great faith. We've seen through the, the disciples, little faith. And now Jesus comes to him and he talks to him about missing or absent faith. Okay. So Jesus made note of absentee faith. All right. Don't ever let your faith be absent. Don't ever let your faith go missing. Don't ever let your faith diminish to the point where it would get Jesus' attention because your faith had, was absent, had gone missing. All right. And then, you know, you can move straight over into just plain old unbelief. And we see that where Jesus encountered with his folks in his own hometown, and it tied his hands. Straight up unbelief will tie the hands of Jesus 
from being able to move in your life, my life, or anybody's life. And unbelief is where we make a conscious decision. I refuse to believe the truth. I refuse to believe the word. That is unbelief. And when you take that kind of posture, uh, you tie the hands of God from being able to move in your life. So don't ever take a hard decision against the word of God like that uh, because you're tying the hands of God. No, let the and and what takes you to those points is to that point is is receiving doubt and entertaining doubt and letting doubt get down into your heart. That is what will produce unbelief. All right. And my time is up and I need to stop in Jesus name. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.